Hello, and welcome to the Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way of doing business. We believe beautiful businesses are led with purpose by people who care, guided by a clear strategy, and soulfully grown. Hi, folks. Welcome to this week's episode of the Beautiful Business Podcast. My name is Ewan Sang, part of the Beautiful Business team. And I was lucky enough to be joined by John Gilbert from Esky Media in this episode. John Gilbert is the founder and managing director of Esky, a media agency specializing in working with the NHS, police, charities, and purposeful businesses to create social good through campaigns and filmmaking. By combining behavioral sciences and co-production methods with young people, he and his team have produced several national and international award-winning films and campaigns on subjects including mental health, organised crime, sexual exploitation, cancer prevention and domestic abuse. This was a fantastic interview. John's a fantastic guy and there's some amazing advice that he shared throughout this chat. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's talk a little bit about the journey that you've been on with Esky. So going from redundancy to growing Esky to creating social good. So let's start from the start. It's always a good place to go. Tell us about how you came about founding Esky. What was the genesis story here? I wish I could give you a more remarkable story than this, but I can't. So I did a degree. I did something called the Knowledge Transfer Partnership, which was a fantastic opportunity to do straight out of university. Where basically, I was uh, plonked into an engineering firm and got to tinker around with IT and marketing and HR and a few things. They paid for me to do a master's. They paid for me to do all kinds of things. But the downside to it was knowing that at the end of that two years, I wouldn't have a job. So I was technically made redundant because it was two years, as was the law back then. But I knew it was coming. And my plan then was to get a job. So I applied for lots of jobs that I probably wasn't experienced enough or qualified for, and some that I was, and I couldn't get a job back then. So I took my redundancy money, printed some business cards, joined a business networking club and thought, well, there might be other small businesses that want an inexperienced guy tinkering around with their IT with marketing. And uh, eventually I found some, I think, what I maybe lacked in experience. I did have academically I had quite a lot of qualifications, but also had a bit of um, naivety and enthusiasm. So I, I started kind of working with other business owners who were trying to grow but couldn't afford their own marketing manager, basically. And then I, I did what a lot of people do within their career, which was then thought, I've done that now. What can I do that's a little bit more exciting? And I looked at what I was interested in live music. I was interested in live comedy. So I sort of got into events marketing. From there, I, I founded a comedy festival in my city, which still runs today. It's, it's 17 years. I don't run it myself anymore. I gave it away a few years ago. And that was really good in the sense of I was enjoying what I was doing, felt like a level of competence for it, was earning enough money to survive, if you see what I mean. What was missing was the sense that what I was doing actually meant something, if you like. And our people were enjoying the, the work that I was doing, particularly around events marketing. But I didn't found Eskimo Soup in the sense that it was. I merged my company together with a company called Eskimo Soup and another company called T Media so that we had five equal partners to run as a full agency, which seemed like a sensible thing to do at the time. I'd been on my own for years. Having business partners was good for my mental health. It was time my second son had just been born. And we saw we were all very similar age, similar kind of backgrounds and had our differences in terms of work ethic and, and a few other things. But we found our way through that and operated as an agency for six years, doing a bit of everything for everybody. And our two main segments that we found ourselves in was the NHS and health marketing and retail. And the two things were so clearly at odds. And the commercial driver of the business was working for shopping centres. And at one point, we had 19 shopping centres on the books, which meant that we could pretty consistent 
plan the, the work that was coming in because we knew that there would be 19 Christmas campaigns, 19 Easter campaigns, 19 back to school campaigns, etc., etc. And there was no shortage of shiny stuff to sell people. Problem was, I wasn't switched on to this at all, interesting buying goods or spend as little time in shopping centres as, as possible. But I was running these accounts with a bit of insincerity in what I was doing. Then we had this smaller part of the business around health. And we were doing campaigns around working with specialists of different forms of cancer and survivors of cancer. And I was getting to meet people who had been through, I mean, such terrible times in their life where they were ill for such a long period of time, didn't think they were going to make it out of the other side, but wanted to come forward and share their story to try and help somebody else spot the early symptoms that they should go to their GP. This is quite some time ago, around the time that the Be Clear on Cancer campaign was being developed on a, on a national level. So when I attended meetings on the retail side to say, ah, this promotion has generated this extra number in a column, and I was kind of feigning interest in that kind of thing, juxtaposed with a meeting where I would go and meet with some clinical professionals who would say, as a result of this, we probably saved this amount of lives. That column of numbers, although much smaller numbers, was the thing that really kind of lit a fire under me. And I was really mm. interested in that side of things. So that's kind of how it started. I mean, obviously, there's, there's so much more to the story. But we realized as a team that we really had different visions for where we wanted to, to go with the company. So after a bit of pulling on my part, they eventually let me leave. And it was very amicable. I literally, in our building that we rented at the time, moved upstairs. I was there on the 31st of March. And then on the 1st of April, moved upstairs, mm. started again. They retained a minority share within the business. I took the name Eskimo Soup, which is a name we no longer use. We rebranded as Esky uh, this mm. year, but we are the same team. And I took one client, which was one of our NHS clients, and none of the team had effectively started again. So that was getting on for 10 years into my career at that point, maybe 10, 11 years, by which point I had the kind of the benefit of so much more experience, having made so many mistakes along the way. And the current company is that second incarnation and, and we've been in this form now for eight and a half years. So that was, I mean, that was a long answer to your question, but bear in mind, I've just covered 20 years. Yeah, no, absolutely. And thank thank you very much. And that's, there's so much in there, John. There's so much in there. Like, there's a couple of inflection points, I suppose, just to go back into that. And one of them, which is so vivid, I imagine, you know, in the morning, you go and meet your retail clients and you're talking about footfall or how many, whatever the metric is for retail kind of sales versus, as you say, you know, speaking with health practitioners, whatever it might be on the other side, talking about the impact that you've had on people's lives. That must have been so stark. So I can completely understand, you know, that kind of thought process that you went through and the decision that you made. But that's a big shout. I did not realize that that was your kind of the carving, if you like, of Eski or Eskimo Soup at the time, away from this kind of, I suppose, this rump of relatively predictable, stable, you know, income, solid clients. 19 is a big number. And as you say, you know, I imagine that the revenue was relatively evenly distributed across those 19. So, you know, quite safe kind of business, as it were, to moving out into something else. And I know that throughout the conversations we've had about how important it is to have a solid commercial kind of enterprise and to kind of drive, and that's where you kind of drive that kind of profit to fuel your journey to creating kind of an impact. How did you reconcile that? You know, it was, it was a hell of a risk to kind of move away, taking the one client. I mean, was it just that, as you say, the fire, the burning to create, to work in that space, to create impact was sufficient for you to go, look, it's worth it to me. 
Yeah, it didn't really feel like a risk, if I'm honest. I mean, the, the thing is, if you go from running a team, there were about 20 of us. We had a couple of subsidiaries at the time. And to go to just having, just being me with one mouth to feed, although be it there were four mouths to feed in our household and white works as well, it didn't feel that difficult, really. And it's certainly the second time around, we grew more quickly. Yeah. And with the benefit of that experience. And the client that we had retained were very pioneering in their approach in that we would work with the comms and marketing team who would specify this is what we need. But having relationships at chief executive at chair level within organizations, what I call idealists, who are mm. people with the means, the aspiration, the inspiration and the resources to try and change their part of the world. It meant that collectively we could come up with ideas and they'll say, I'll find a pot of money to give that a try. Um, and they would, because that relationship was in place, would, they would trust me not to just come back three months later and go, yeah, it didn't work. Thanks for your money, though. We yeah. would always make sure that it, and it's yeah. different degrees, of course, depending on the initiative. Yeah. But no, I don't remember it ever feeling like that. Sometimes you just, you can overanalyze situations, but you know what? The body is amazing because the gut usually does that for you. Yeah. And you just follow the gut and you just go and do it. Again, I, I, I know this is cliche, but the reason it's cliche is because yeah, indeed. No, indeed, indeed, indeed. Cliche is like the, the pencil and the rubber of uh, discussions because you use them all the time. Just to kind of go back on that, I love that term, idealists, the people who've got the resources, who've got the ambition and the inspiration in order to change their worlds. That's a really lovely turn of phrase, John. I really, really like it. And I guess it, it kind of takes to the next part of the question that I had around how do you kind of um, build that kind of commercial value within your agency or how do you give yourself the best opportunity to achieve those kind of commercial goals and it sounds like certainly in the early days the strength of the relationship that you have with the right people within those client groups and that's it and that's still the answer today and i think that i guess most people would say that in a service to service industry that we can trace back all of our best projects to probably a handful of people now it doesn't mean that they would directly be the client but they may have been the one that gives an introduction and there's this kind of set of kindred spirits really who I, i've talked a lot on this podcast about you know, some of the previous discussions we've had about privilege and that once you're there and you're in that position you do have a responsibility to do it but you can dream and I guess the public sector's got this perception that it's in no way ever entrepreneurial. And a lot of the times it's not, and a lot of times it's frustrating and there's bureaucracy and you think, my wife works in the public sector and she tells me things and I have to bite my lips to just to stop saying, well, they'll just change it because I appreciate it isn't like that. But there are a few people who are very entrepreneurial and, and kind of just see the partnership opportunities and the, that saying around sometimes it's easier to to ask for forgiveness than permission. Well, if they're in a senior enough position, yeah, everybody answers somebody, but they can actually make those, take a bit of a, it's not a punt, is it? It's a measured risk sometimes. Mm. Uh, they, they can do that. Mm. So uh, we've been very fortunate to have those relationships and then I've made sure that we've never, we just don't let people down and we will do what we say we're going to do. It's quite interesting sometimes because we can be quite independent at times of the client. Whilst we're interdependent of various stakeholders, the one that's actually paid for it is kind of, we'll just leave it to it and just let us know every now and again how it's going, which is strange because you've got nobody pushing you. You've got to be entirely self-motivated, which is one of our values, really. That mm. It's the way that it comes back down to an individual level is that there will not always be somebody pushing you, but you'll always be there. Yeah. You'll know at the end of the week if you've done your best. Yes. Uh, if you've got things to be proud of. And I yeah. guess that's sometimes it's been the relationships we've had with clients. 
Yeah, no, indeed. Indeed. I, I love the fact that it's baked into your values as well. It's kind of bring you... I was, I was, no, but, we don't just make, throw this together. Yeah, well, there we go. But it, it's, it's, well, we do have to, but with the benefit of having been around for a few years, you, so, you start to connect the dots, don't you? Yeah, indeed. Indeed. I remember my kids' school, Tobias' school, and one of their kind of like values at the school is be the best that you can be. And if you kind of have that attitude or if that's part of the values of the culture that you're trying to bring into your business, it's a, it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. I keep on saying, obviously, my, my boy's more of an inspiration to me than I realised, but another conversation I had with him was um, it was when Boris Johnson was getting absolutely roasted about having these parties and stuff like this. And he was listening to the news and the radio and stuff like this. So I spoke, me and my missus were listening to it. And the word integrity or lack of kept on popping up. And he asked me, he said, Dad, what does integrity mean? And this was my like famous kind of dad moment. And it was like, integrity is when you do the right thing, even if nobody sees you do it and i feel like that's the kind of if you can approach your work in a similar sort of way if you can you know try and generate the best results even if it doesn't seem like the client is looking then you're in a good place yeah it will be of no big surprise to find that that is also one of our values esky is the company of our name at the effectiveness self-motivation kinship and integrity we had to use kinship was i had to get the thesaurus out to get the <laughs> <laughs> I love it. it still stands up i love it that's fantastic so yeah the last part of this and i know that in the beautiful business community you talked a little bit about potentially bringing some investment into esky and i was just very curious to know what has that journey kind of been like for you in terms of bringing somebody else in because you talked about how you kind of separated out from your previous kind of founding team and you've been on this journey you've obviously brought some people along on your way and but what's it been like bringing somebody in or potentially bringing somebody into the business and what kind of effect does that have on the wider team Okay, so I think my journey on this is quite unique and probably not one that people would recommend. So basically, we have a new product that we're developing at the moment. I'll simplify and say we have a new product. And I was asking lots of people for their opinion on it. And everybody was telling me how wonderful it was and how clever it was and how successful it was going to be. And I sort of think had a bit of an Emperor's New Clothes moment of, like, is everybody telling me what they think I want to hear? So I reconnected with somebody who used to be a mentor of mine very successful business person, the most driven person I've ever met, if I'm I'm honest, and currently is the CEO of a company that turned over billions, valued billions. And I thought, if somebody's going to tell me that I'm deluding myself, it's him. So I asked for just half an hour for a coffee or whatever. Ten minutes into the discussion of me explaining what I was planning to do, he said, I'd invest in that. I'd like to invest in that. So, which I took as a thumbs up. Now, the long story short is that we were talking at the moment about that, rather than being a separate company, being in Esky. And the reason for that is because he wants to be medium to long term invested in the success of our company. And if I'm honest, me. Because I think this is like both an, an insult and a compliment in that he sees me as somebody with a lot of potential that I still haven't realized. <laughs> so having grown businesses as he's done, whereas I've always been in my relative comfort zone of running a small business with a really great team and we all get on and, and, and I could do that for the next 20 years and then and retire. But I know me, I would sort of go, hmm, I wonder what would have happened if we'd have really pushed it. So I've recognized that I need somebody to motivate me, to push me, to push the business forward. So the A, to achieve our social goals, B, to support the career of the rest of the team, the CDE, there's all kinds of reasons to do that. So it wasn't by design that we decided to go out to market to do that. At the time of this recording, we're still going through this, but I'm expecting it to go through. And the role will be non-operational. It will be purely strategic around sort of taking us through the growth process because the product that we're investing in, if that achieves what, when that achieves what we say it's going to do, that we are going to be in a period of growth we've not yet experienced. So I don't want that 
with my limited experience of being in this comfort zone. I don't want that to be an inhibitor for it. So if that mm. means new ideas, new skills, new people, we can do that. But we'll do it in a way that supports the rest of the team. So I've just been open with the communication with the team at any point on this. And I'll say, like, if you want to know anything more about it, you want to chat about it, just let me know. But fortunately, I, they do trust me because we are pretty open but in and around that. So the idea is that for us, it's a path of growth, which is, is new territory for us. And we'll still make mistakes, but hopefully we won't make as many mistakes because we've got the benefit of somebody who's acting there as an advisor who's been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, if you see what I mean. Mm. So it's, um, yeah, it seems like a really good opportunity for us, but it wasn't something that we set out to do. It's been a byproduct of, of just getting in touch with somebody. We've talked mm. a lot about relationships on this podcast, and it's so true, isn't it, that you can re- I've recently reconnected with a few people I've not seen for 10, 15 years just by doing what you said you were going to do. It's so simple, isn't it? Just do the right thing and do what you say you're going to do. People will remember that. And when you need them, when you need somebody to help you step out your comfort zone to take something to that next level, then you can hopefully call upon those people. That's fantastic and absolutely lovely as well. A lovely heartwarming story. Well, ask me again in a year. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be going, oh, he's a slave driver. I was going to say, you know, I fair play to you in the sense that, you know, I've had the discussion with my co-founder in terms of, you know, what happened. Our business is five years old now. And what happens next? Do we kind of mm. kick on? Do we go from like six people to however many and things like this? And you're right. The people are more comfortable with old problems than they are with new solutions. So, you, you know, whilst, yes. and that's where, you know, we find ourselves right now. We're quite comfortable being six and you know whatever it might be and as you say quite happy to do this for the next 20 years and then retire and it's all good but having that drive to do it and almost having that conscious decision right we're going to go for this how can we make it happen who can we speak to to help us get there and there was a decision that was made right something that made you think hmm, we've got something here there's you know something really exciting let's go for it yeah and timing is crucial to that i've listened to a few of your podcasts now the fantastic set of guests it's quite daunting in a sense no. but the thing is we going on this journey for business really the business owner or a member of, of a team we can paint this picture of this kind of swashbuckling adventure that we go on with its ups and its downs and it's, and it's okay because whatever analogy you want to use the, the reality is that we don't if you're not careful you you live through your business and the timing of that is so important so when i started my company way back when and became father to two children quite soon afterwards as well. When I asked people for advice about who had been successful and been a bit further down the line, what mistakes they'd made and so on, the theme that stood out to me was people saying, I wish I'd spent more time with my kids. And there were quite a lot of destroyed marriages along the way. So I've always thought, look, the business cannot compromise these things because I've seen people who are very wealthy, but they're not particularly happy or they've had to rebuild their life in order to find their happiness. That's not to say you're doomed if you have a relationship with your kids or your marriage. Somewhere. Of course not. But I just, I took that as like, well, okay, we'll do that then. So hmm. in a sense, it's inhibited the business because I've not done the traveling and the, there's always been a decision before we do this, what impact is this going to have on me? It sounds selfish and my relationships. Now that my children are growing up and there's a bit more freedom to do that, my wife's involved in the business as well, so she's really supportive. I don't make any big decisions without consulting with her, although usually she just says, you know what you're doing, I'll trust you in that sense, which means, which is great because we've now got shared responsibility for when I cock up. Um, (laughs) But you've you've got the, yeah, but we're now in a place to do that. So wherever you and your business partner are in, in your career, I mean, it's not a race, is it? Mm. There's times when to kind of think, well, this is a lifestyle business that's saving me right now. We can still grow and still have a good lifestyle. And then there's maybe some times where you think, well, do you know what? I'm going to really go for it in a couple of years and see how it goes. Yeah. And then, do you know what? If I don't like it, I can step back. 
Yeah, indeed, indeed. And again, it's kind of reconfirming this approach. Um, Paul Bullpit, one of the founders of WOW, we got really, really well, and we talked about this a lot, about the importance, and we almost kind of baked this in. Like a lot of the feedback that we had when we were interviewing other founders of, you know, 10 plus employees of that kind of on that stage of their business, a reoccurring theme was family first and the value that they placed on, you know, on the important things in their lives. And, you know, if you were going to do a straw poll, you know, what are the most important things in your lives? across, you know, most of the people within this community, not very many of them would put their business as being the most important thing in their lives. Mm. And if you ask most people generally, family, friends, you know, that's, they are the important things. And this conversation I had with Paul, and it was as frightening as it was kind of reassuring as well. So he's a little bit ahead of me in terms of the age of the kids and stuff like that. But they talked about how they measure the time that they've got with their kids in summers. Because, you know, there's a whole kind of school year and things like this mm. and everybody's busy and all the rest of it. Summer is when you get the chance to really build some of those memories out. You've got the time mm. together and, you know, and the weather and all the rest of it. And then you think, well, how many summers have I got left with Tobias, my yeah. boy, being at home? And it's like, oh, my God, you've got to make that time count. You know, you've got to make that time yeah. count. And it's so true. You know, there will come a point when you can, you know, put the hammer down on work and mm. go for the growth or whatever it might be. But it can't be at the fall of the other things that are important in your life. Yeah, no, that's a good way to put it. I mean, my oldest son is, that's it probably for the summers now he's joining the military but my youngest son the two of us are off to Glastonbury next year so I'm still making the most of them while we can oh fantastic fantastic and well done for getting those tickets as well we got lucky there (laughs) thank you so much John from Esky for taking the time to take this interview and sharing your advice and your experiences thank you for joining us for this week's beautiful business podcast beautiful business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way to do business Join us next time for more interesting discussions on how businesses can bring about change, helping communities, building a fairer society and safeguarding the planet. You can also join in the discussion at www.beautifulbusiness.uk.